Well, good morning, Sanctuary. I am so happy to be with you all today. Greetings from Nashville, Tennessee. Greetings from my wife, Ashley, and our daughter, Lucy. My name is Preston. I realize that many of you may have no idea who I am, (laughs) except that I share a last name with some of your pastors, and I may vaguely look like them. (laughs) We are originally from Tulsa, And seven years ago, we moved to Nashville to plant Sacrament Church. And we are part of the Diocese of St. Anthony, so we still keep tabs on all of you all. And yes, um, Father Brent and Reverend Janice are my parents. Well, I am so thankful for Bishop Ed. I'm thankful for Father Brent and Reverend Janice. I'm thankful for Father Paul and for everyone else in this wonderful community. We love you all. And we are in interesting times right now, aren't we? (laughs) But I am thankful that God is faithful. In our gospel text today, Jesus tells this interesting little parable about planting and harvesting. In this weird time, we all are finding ourselves longing for things to be put right, longing for a world restored. And in his parables, Jesus speaks to an Israel that is longing. We all know that the world is not as it should be. We're awakening now to a lot of the deep structural issues in our world involving racial injustice. We are currently gripped by a global pandemic And on top of all of that, we face the pain of loss and struggle and discord that just comes with everyday life. And in the midst of it all, we cry out longing for a world made new. Now, Israel knew that this new day that they had hoped for, this new day that they longed for, would be a day of judgment and a day of redemption. And they, just like us, had certain expectations about what they hoped that would mean. So much of Israel believed that they would need, in order for this world to be made right and be made new, they would need a violent revolution. And they would need all the things that would go along with that. So military strength, weapons, all that stuff. So in many ways, Jesus' teaching about the sower and really Jesus' entire life would be deeply disappointing. Jesus tells them this story and then he drops the mic and then he doesn't give the crowd the interpretation. He basically just says, this is going to be a hard word and it's a hard word for us today. We should pray today for ears to hear what God might be saying to us through it. Jesus is in essence saying, yes, Israel, The world you are longing for is coming true. That thing that you've prayed for is really happening and I'm here to make it happen. But this new kingdom is gonna be hard for you to accept. It's gonna be hard for you to understand. But you have to remember that doesn't mean it isn't true. Jesus' disciples and his original hearers probably expected the kingdom to come, come about through like a flash Around the 4th of July, my neighborhood is riddled with illegal fireworks. (laughs) They're really skinny streets and they're just all over these streets and they're in the parks and they're in the parking lots. And I hate fireworks. I'm sorry. I, I know I hate them though. My wife loves them. And so does Lucy, my little girl. But, but the idea, I don't know what it is. The idea of carrying fire around and loud bangs and pops. I, I just hate it. Why, why do we shoot off fireworks? Well, fireworks mean revolution. (laughs) 
That's why we shoot them off at the fourth. We remember this revolution in our history. But Jesus doesn't talk about fireworks. He talks about seeds. When the Messiah came, the people expected fireworks. They wanted a firework kingdom and they get a a seed scattering kingdom. When we think about like uh, images of seeds, when we think about where our food comes from, we, we often think of the grocery store. But in the ancient world, a new season of planting was so significant. It was their livelihood. This season of planting was the beginning of something new. Jesus is saying here that God is now sowing his field with crops that will eventually bring a harvest. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke this way too. We see this idea of seed time and harvest all throughout the Bible. This new day is coming. Seeds are being planted and a harvest is coming. And this is a tough story, but but we're also blessed by the fact that Matthew, even though Jesus doesn't give the crowds the interpretation, (laughs) Matthew tells us the interpretation that Jesus told his disciples, okay? And the first thing we need to see about this is that Christ himself is the sower in the story. This is important because we are not the sower. This means that the seed being planted is not dependent on us. Now, this is a bit confusing because there are other mentions in the Bible where this idea of the sower does have to do with God's ambassadors, including Paul talks about this, that uh, God's agents or God's ambassadors are the ones who cast the seed, the ones who plant and who scatter the seed. But even that is always organically connected to God as the one who is ultimately responsible for the growth. God is the sower. But that's so frustrating because God's kingdom never quite happens how we want it to happen. (laughs) Jesus tells his disciples that there are a few ways that this seed is received in the world, okay? A few ways that the word of God is received in the world. First, some allow the evil one to snatch the words away at once. So there's this like inherent cynicism or skepticism or sneering at the word of God. Why? Well, this is due to a faulty orientation. The seed has fallen along the footpath. So it's the place where people walk. So the soil itself is just all wrong. Now, this may be due to the fact that, like many in the first century, the expectations are off. The one receiving God's word is looking for a flashbang, and they can't hear the still small voice. I think that this parable and Jesus' interpretation of the parable challenges us to examine our gag reflex to God's voice. (laughs) Are there times where, for some reason or another, we just don't want to deal with what God has to say to us? It's just a non-starter. One way to know if you're in that place is when you're tempted to do something that you know is just not right, and then you just do it without thinking about it. Maybe you reflect later and you go, why did I think that was okay? (laughs) For many of us, this is because we've cultivated our world in such a way that there's no space for God. We have a myriad of other voices. We wonder why we can't hear God and it's because we haven't even cultivated a a life that's ready to receive him. We have no stillness in our life. We have no prayer in our life. So that's the first soil. But 
But then second, Jesus says some seeds fall on rocky soil. So the earth's just not deep enough. The soil is just not rich. There are many of us who are enthusiastic and we're optimistic about faith at first, and then things get really difficult. And when discipleship makes demands on us, we fall away. I think some of us are experiencing this right now. The church is having to exist in a lot of virtual space right now that's just not ideal. And the world is crazy. So many of us, what we've done in this whole season that's overwhelming is we've thrown our discipleship in the backseat. Because following Jesus is really hard. It involves laying down our privilege, looking out for others before ourselves. And it is primarily, I think Jesus would say here, about listening. So that's the second soil. Then this third soil points us to the reality that there are some who really do respond to the gospel and they respond in a deep way. But there are other things that choke it out. There are weeds and thorns in our lives that have grown deep. And these thorns are invasive. They capture everything else that grows around them. What is invasive in our lives to the point where those things actually take over? Jesus points out that wealth can be this way. We think of wealth often as something that we have achieved or something we've earned, and so we grasp it tightly. But if we believe that all good gifts come from God, we're open and generous with our wealth. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to be generous with what God has given us when those very gifts that God has given us actually become the thing that defines us instead of God defining us. In addition to wealth, I think we could say that another thing that's tempting to define us is our political affiliations. We live in a world where we are told that we need to fit into one of two worldviews. And that worldview changes how we think about literally everything. (laughs) Those political identities root themselves so deeply that they become the thing that everything else revolves around. Think about just two of the major issues that our world is facing right now. When you first heard about the protests against bias and racial injustice, when you first heard about those, when you first became aware of the unjust killing of George Floyd, what was your reaction? What was cultivated in the soil of your life? Was it to listen? Was it the desire to rush to the aid of the marginalized? Was it the desire to rush to the voices that were unheard? Or was your instinct to just protect yourself or defend yourself? Often, the reason why we prevent ourselves from listening for the kingdom, it's because there's something choking us. Our nation is choked by systems of racism and injustice. These thorns have grown so deep, they've become so invasive, they are literally choking people. I can't help but reflect on the statement, I can't breathe as an indictment on these thorns that we have allowed to grow. How about your response to COVID-19? Is your first instinct, how can I help? Who can I love? Who is suffering? Or is it the desire to just protect your rights? 
The kingdom of God always involves true hearing, true listening. And this is something in such short supply today. We always need to remember who is central in this story. Jesus is central in this story. Jesus is the sower. The painter, Vincent van Gogh, had a complicated relationship with faith. He was raised a Christian and he eventually became a Christian missionary. He was on his way to priesthood, actually. But through his life, he became disillusioned with the church, still believing in God, but resisting the institution. Now, probably Van Gogh's most famous work is Starry Night. Starry Night is captivating. Now, Van Gogh is known for his work with light, for painting soft yellow light in intentional places throughout his works. In fact, whenever you see light anywhere in a Van Gogh painting, you are to see the presence of God. Yellow represented God's presence, the spirit at work. So in Starry Night, for example, yellow light is everywhere. In the stars, in every window, in the houses, in shops, in every building, every building except the church. (laughs) Because while Van Gogh believed in God in Christ, he had become disillusioned with how the church had focused on itself and on its own ornateness instead of blessing the world. Van Gogh also was really fascinated with the image of the sower in the Gospels. In fact, he had over 30 canvases of sowers, simple peasants walking the fields and scattering seed. If you look at his life story, Van Gogh had failed his priestly exams on the way to life of parish ministry. And that experience may have led him to a lot of his skepticism about the church. Instead, Van Gogh became an artist. And he was greatly inspired by an 1850 painting by Jean-Francois Millet. Millet was known for painting the working class of society and he painted them as heroes and he painted them as dignified. And he did so with his painting of the sower. Now at this time, that was really unique because at this time, the poor were not usually portrayed at all in art. But Van Gogh was so inspired by Millet's works and he actually copied them as part of his practice, as part of his painting. And then he would make his own versions. So he'd copy Millet's and then he'd make his own versions. The most famous of these was The Sower. But notice the difference between Millet's work and Van Gogh's work. In Van Gogh's work, the main focus is the sun or the light of God. Van Gogh believed that there was more to the sower than just the sower, that God was behind him. You can see that the sun kind of frames a halo over the sower. And I love this. I don't know what's going on in Van Gogh's head, but but we see that Van Gogh is recognizing the sower as Jesus and the sun becomes a kind of halo showing the divine activity at work in the sowing. If God really is the sower, it means that the seed is always good and that the seed keeps going out. It often feels slower than we'd like it and it always challenges us, but it keeps going out. The kingdom of God is moving even when we fail. So don't be deceived into thinking that our faulty response, our bad soil in any way cuts off the kingdom of God. God is at work 
even in the midst of our failure. Why? Well, the seed on the footpath is still good seed. In fact, some farmers have pointed out that if the bird picks up the seed, (laughs) it will eventually pass the seed. So the seed will fall into the ground and it'll be fertilized. So it'll be a better seed (laughs) than it was before. The seed that fell on rocky ground was still good seed. It was just the soil that lacked depth. The seed that fell among the thorns was still good seed, but the soil had other things that were invasive and had grown deep. But God keeps sowing. Our failure is not enough to stop the word of God. And gosh, that is so freeing. In fact, Paul says in our epistle text today, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, we failed over and over again, but God keeps speaking. The seed continues to go out, bringing life to the world. The challenge for us today is not to wring our hands thinking about, thinking that God's kingdom will halt if we fail. The challenge is for us to realize that God's kingdom is what truly brings life and flourishing, that God is moving, and our challenge is to listen for that. This passage serves as a challenge to us just as it did to Israel in the first century. Do we need a softening in the soil of our hearts? This week, I want to challenge you to check your gag reflex to the kingdom of God. In what ways have we been oriented in directions other than God's kingdom? Have we become more footpath than good soil, allowing the enemy to come and snatch the seed of God's word? Do we need a deepening of our roots? So much of American Christianity is built on the superficial. We want to promise success in this life. We boil down our faith to four easy steps or to a quick fix. No wonder we have a hard time allowing the gospel to really take root in our hearts. I'm thankful for churches like Sanctuary that are trying to examine our root systems. Finally, do we need an uprooting in our thorns, of our thorns? I think in this community, we could all answer with a resounding yes to that. (laughs) We are learning to listen We're becoming more aware of the systems in our world that are deeply rooted, that invade everything that we do. We're currently trying to wade through systems that are full of bias and full of oppression. And the prophetic task of the church is to point out the places that need to be uprooted and torn down before God builds and plants in us and in the world. God is faithful. The seed continues to be scattered. And he calls us to a life of listening and understanding and following his voice. Amen.